Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in and listening to the podcast. Today we have Jacqueline Samira. Jacqueline is the co-founder and CEO of Howdy.com which is a startup business helping US companies hire and manage talented software developers from Latin America. Howdy has raised 21 million from the same investors who funded Twitch, Airbnb, GitLab, Coinbase, and a host of others. Jacqueline started her business in 2018, and you won't believe this, but by December 22, it was valued at 105 million. Jacqueline and her business are based in Texas, and we're going to get leadership insights into growing a business and taking the business to the high goals and the aspirations of building a unicorn. Welcome, Jacqueline. A big welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me. I really appreciate it. Is there anything I missed in that introduction that you'd just like to quickly add? <laughs> no, you did You did an amazing job. Thank you. I'm sure there was a lot, <laughs> but that was great. Jacqueline, we had a chat before we recording this, before recording this podcast, and I was so inspired by your story. I'd love to jump straight into that because I know our listeners are going to absolutely love it. It didn't start easily, did it? I mean, it was a massive risk for you. Would you yes. be happy just to share a bit of that? Of course, absolutely. So my whole background has been in sales. I graduated university with a degree in economics. I wanted to get into investment banking. Uh, when I graduated university, it was 2008. So there was the banking crisis, the housing crisis that was occurring, and the banks were failing. So they weren't necessarily looking for um, any new employees at the time. So I ended up getting into sales just to try and make ends meet. And um, I ended up having a knack for it. I really enjoyed it. My career moved me to Austin, Texas, which is where I'm at right now. This is around 2011. Um, I worked my way up. I helped build a lot of companies. I saved a bunch of money along the way. And in 2018, I had started to, well, actually it was 2016, 2017, I started to notice this trend that was happening in Austin. More and more companies were coming to Austin, Texas. More and more capital was coming to Austin, Texas. Um, for all of you viewers, Texas is a very, very business-friendly state compared to California. So we were getting a lot of tech elites coming from California, but it wasn't like we were getting a whole new crop of software developers. And so we had this massive de demand but really generally the same amount of supply. And so there was this huge imbalance there. Um, my mom is a software engineer from Iran. So I know that there are smart people all over the world. And I thought, I'm like, this is, this is a really silly problem to have. There are amazing people out there that want the opportunity and opportunities are only hyper-focused in some small areas in the world. 
So if we can open up these opportunities to all the people that have the talent and want it, that would be tremendous for both the company and for the talent. And so that was what I decided to do in 2018. I had saved a whole bunch of money around this time. It was about 150000 And I had been through the venture capital uh, hamster wheel where you're just constantly changing, chasing that next raise. So I knew if I wanted to start a business, I didn't want to have to depend on outside capital because I didn't want to have to answer to other people. I wanted to make the right decisions for the business. And so I, I had budgeted, this is going to take about 18 months for it to get profitable. And I had just enough money to get us there. And so that's what I did. I started the, I started the business with that money, went down to South America, identified a couple of key hubs that we wanted to be in, opened foreign entities, started hiring folks down there, made a ton of mistakes. I mean, gosh, like it's very complicated understanding U.S. tax law, let alone having to figure out tax law in a different country, in a different language, where there's so many unknown unknowns <laughs> that like people just assume that you know that you don't know. And, you know, you end up getting hit with all of these like unforeseen costs and expense expenses. And so um, fast forward that to it was around January of 2020. So this is about a year and a half later. Um, we were just like, we were so close to getting to that point of success. We saw, we had all of these new prospects that were just about to sign on the dotted line. We had a bunch of new Part, uh, we call our customers partners. We had a bunch of new partners that were asking to make some new hires. And we were so excited because I knew in April, my money was going to run out. Um, and what ended up happening, of course, as we all know, this was January, 2020, March of 2020 was COVID. And it was just this huge, again, I'm sure everybody remembers where they were March of 2020. Um, everything froze everything frozen time. And at that point, that is when all of our prospects put their hiring on hold. All of our existing partners that had teammates put basically their jobs on hold and our business just completely, completely stopped dead in the water. And at that point, um, I think I, I remember looking at my bank account and I had only $400 left in my bank account of all this money I had saved this entire time. And I was freaking out because not only did I only have $400 left, I was nine months pregnant with my first son and I was due to give birth the next week. And it was so terrifying of a moment because no one knew what to do. We didn't know what we were going to do. I didn't know how we were going to pay our bills and everything just froze. There was a couple instances, there was a couple Hail Marys that happened in my in my life personally in that moment um, that allowed us to withstand. But at that point, it was it was either you know do or die. And so we really had no no option other to just endure. And uh, I can continue on this story, but there was really this moment in time where I looked at my co-founder and we just said to ourselves, like, what do we have to put on credit? What, what do we have to do? How can we like, you know, is there any way we can maybe push out paying some people? Is there any way we can like be late here, be late there? And so we just did a bunch of, you know, put, pushing numbers around on a spreadsheet to make it work for one month. And then it was amazing because like May came 
And I think what ended up happening was everybody saw that, you know, nothing was going to change. We were all going to stay working from home. Everybody's working from home anyways. You know, we're talking via Zoom. We're talking via video chat. Well, what difference does it make if I have a person down the street or if I have a person in a completely different continent? And it was wild because it was May of 2020. I'd given birth to my son and our business just exploded. And everybody we had talked to before that had, you know, said, no, thank you. Or everybody that had put their prospects on hold or high rate hold all came back and said, can you help us? And um, that was, that was a very unique time for, for getting the business started to say the least. That's such, a, such an amazing story, especially from the career you've had prior to Heidi Jacqueline, and then obviously kind of dealing with that exponential growth. I'm, I'm, there's so, so many avenues I want to go down, but I guess my first question is just how, how did you manage like coping with that growth when you first, when you first experienced it? Uh, so, you know, it was, it, I think because when we felt the lowest of the low, the entire team, I mean, we had a very small team at the time, but the entire team was very nervous. And so when we just got this wave of inbound, everybody was willing to jump in. Everybody was willing to wear multiple hats. We were working all hours, all days on weekends, just to make sure, just to make it work. So I think because it was like, you know, we were so thirsty and dehydrated and wanted water. And then we got thrown into an ocean that for the first few months, we were not, we were not mad about being in the middle of the ocean. Um, and then it gave us enough time to hire up our internal team or support team in a way that was able to be there to help support us through that growth. But uh, I think we needed the lows so that it was all hands on deck for the highs. Yeah, it makes it please. It's such a, uh, like a, not lucky, but a timing of events worked out pretty well for you. It totally did. You know, it, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how on one end, you think, oh my gosh, you know, I wasted my entire life savings. I've spent the last 15 years saving this money and it's now gone to zero and this is going to fail. I'm going to have to fold this business to a month later <laughs> being like, oh my gosh, I have more demand than we know what to do with. I have a new baby. I'm not sleeping. Like it was just the dichotomy of emotion was it was wild. I don't, it was so fun, but I don't, I don't like experiencing those like ups and lows like that. So I would, I'd love to dive into that a bit more, Jacqueline, because you've now, Howdy.com has been running for uh, just under five years, I believe you're coming up close to having 200 employees, obviously starting off the business yourself and growing to 200 employees is a really huge achievement. How have you, um, from like a, a leadership perspective, being the, the CEO and the, and the co-founder, how have you kind of managed that growth and what sort of challenges and, and learnings have you had along the way? So I think the thing that was really important for me in the very beginning was to have, and you hear this all the time, uh, it was to have a clear vision. Everyone says, oh, you got to have a clear vision. You got to have a clear mission statement. You got to have a clear this. You gotta... And and yes, like we all like know it to be true, but it really, really, really needs to be true. You really have to believe it because in the early days, if you say, this is my vision and this is what we want to do. And then a customer comes around and they says, yeah, yeah, I know that's what you want to do, but here's $50,000 to do this like slightly abridged thing or like your business model and the way that you want to do it. That's great and all, but we do it this way. And I've seen, I, luckily, you know, this is the fifth company I've been a part of 
And I've seen leaders do a good job at this. And I've seen leaders do a bad job at this. And the bad job is where they have a vision, but then they justify how they can kind of tweak that vision based on what these new customers or these like big, let's just say label customers come in asking for. And when I say, you know, it's important to have a really good, very clear vision. It's if a company like Apple comes to you and says, that's great, Jacqueline, but we only work with companies this way. You have to be okay with saying no, Apple, like I, that's great and all that you do that, but this is, this is the way that we're going to work. So either you're going to come on board or you're not going to come on board. And if you can have that kind of conviction early on, and of course, like you want to iterate your business model in the early days to make sure that it works. Uh, I believe in this philosophy, you've you got to nail it before you scale it, meaning you really have to understand what works, your ideal buyer persona, the, the problem you're trying to solve. And then you have to be very steadfast in making that work. And so we did that. We spent a whole year not taking on new customers. This was the first year in business, um, the end of 2018 through 2019 where we only worked with a few select customers to really make sure that what Howdy was, was exactly what our, our goals were. And it ended up working. And so then we scaled it. So, and we did have that conversation with Apple and they did want to make our business a certain way. And we, we said, no, you're either going to work with us this way or you're not going to work with us. And we ended up not working with them and that's okay. But I didn't want to be that business that Apple wanted us to be. And so I give all of this backstory to say that today I can confidently say, this is our business. This has always been our business. This has always been our vision. And the people that we bring on board are either super excited and bought into that mission or they're not. And, you know, we're not going to be all things to all people. We're not going to be all things to all customers. So the folks that are around really truly believe in it. And they know that in six months from now, we're not going to pivot and be something else. And I've seen it, even our competitors. I mean, gosh, there's one competitor in particular that I'm thinking of. They've had four different business models in the last two years. And that creates a lot of friction and that creates a lot of unnecessary conflict and toxicity internally, which then, you know, comes, <laughs> there's turnover with that. There's layoffs with that. There's all the things that occur just by constantly pivoting or moving where the goalposts are. So I'm okay with people not liking our mission, but the folks that do, they can be comfortable knowing that it's it's going to continue like this for years to come. Well, I think that's phenomenal that you turned down Apple. I think <laughs> title of the podcast <laughs> maybe, maybe others won't think it's phenomenal <laughs> maybe it was stupid maybe I never would have gone down to four hundred dollars had I said yes to them <laughs> Jacqueline you've grown the business considerably what is your leadership style have you changed that at all over time you know I am I am a very collaborative leader but very decisive when it comes to making any kind of key decisions. I would say that I've always, I've, I've been consistently like that. I don't profess to know all things. I believe in hiring people much smarter than me and uh, deferring and understanding and hearing their perspective. But at the, one of the things I did actually have learned over the years is even when you hire experts, you still need to make the final say and be the one that's guiding and leading because not every single person is going to have the same perspective as you. 
And something that I've learned over time is the CEO of an organization has complete perspective of everything that's happening internally and everything that's happening externally. And when I say complete perspective, meaning they they know where they're trying to steer this ship and where it's trying to go. And a lot of times people are, are operating with incomplete information. And in the early days, I didn't understand that. And so I would defer to people's decision and guidance and it ended up being wrong only because they didn't have complete information. And so now I think I've leaned more into being confident with, even though this person is the best in their field at this thing, their decision might not be right. Not because they don't know better. It's just because they might not have complete information. So I, I feel I've gotten more confident in that. Whereas before, while I felt one way, I would defer more so to the, to the subject matter experts. So is that a tip that you would share with other business owners and leaders to, to build that inner confidence about the future direction and culture, et cetera, of your business and where you want to go? Is that, is that a tip that you would recommend? Definitely. I think that, I think that it is very important that you not only build a team with many different vantage points, many different backgrounds, it's very important that you ask for their inputs, you ask for their advice, you ask for all of the information, and then you ultimately have to be the one that makes the decision. Again, because you are the one with the most complete information. I think that people might be afraid to almost be that kind of dictatory, but it's not. It's not. If you're asking the right questions, if you're giving people the space and the respect to hear them out, then most of the time you're probably going to defer with what they want to do anyways. But um, it's it's really important to hear all, but then have the ultimate say, I believe. I, I, and I would I would definitely give that advice too. Okay, thanks, Jacqueline. How, how do you manage it then when everybody's giving you their advice and you're going against the advice that you've been given? Okay, most of the times you take on board the advice, but there must be occasions when you've not done that. How have you managed that communication? I'm I'm just very direct about it in in a in a very nice way. You can you know I heard something. My co-founder said this to me the other day. Um, he has a teenage daughter, and he said, "You know what I've learned? I've learned that when you ask for respect for from people, you're not going to always get it. But if you ask for people to be polite, then you can at least have a very nice, kind conversation." And so I think there's this adage where it's like, you must respect me. You must, and I don't, I don't believe in that. And when he said that, that kind of gave me this like epiphany where I was like, wow, you're right. Like, I'm not going to get everybody to respect every single decision, nor do I need that, but I need people to operate with politeness with each other and deference where it's like, when this final decision is made, that's, that's just the path that we're going to go down. You may disagree with it. You can disagree with it nicely, but it's okay. You have to be on board with what we're going to do. So what do I do? I can give an example. So um, I am very passionate about the culture of Howdy, about the culture of the company. And we did a management retreat and there was 30 people that they all came to Austin. And it was really important to me that I gave a very Austin, Texas experience. 
So everything and a very American experience because 95% of our management team is all in Latin America. And so I thought, you know, this is going to be great. We're going to come here. We're going to have like a very American Texas experience. One of the parties that we did one of the night was called an American frat party with the idea that like, hey, here, have like a college experience. And a lot of people didn't like that. <laughs> I mean, they did. Okay. Like the, I got a good, I got a good overall review of the retreat, but I did have a lot of people that came to me and they said, you know, I, I wish that you would have incorporated our culture and I wish you would have done this and I wish you would have done that. And I said, you know, I, I totally hear you and I respect you there, but we are in Austin and the goal was to give an Austin experience. When we go to other parts and other cities, the goal is to give that kind of experience. And maybe you don't like eating tacos, but tacos is our national food here. And, and it ultimately came to the conversation of me saying like, I appreciate your feedback, but this is the way that we're going to do it. And if you don't want to be a part of these retreats, where when we go to different locations that we fully immerse ourselves in that local environment, you don't have to come. And actually at the end of that conversation, I had a lot of Slack messages come into me saying, you know what, I didn't have that perspective. Now having that perspective, I'm, I'm really excited that you held firm. So how would you, Jacqueline, describe your culture? Because when I'm, I've taken a look and done some research on that, and you've already, already mentioned that's something that's hugely important to you. It comes across in the conversation so far. How have you developed your culture and what is it? So I, we talk about it a lot, especially in the early days, we had values that were important to us. Some of the values that were important to us, and they still are, are things like courage, having the courage to speak up and to have an opinion Another one is collaboration, communication, all the like things you hear from, from all of these companies. And uh, for us, we would get on on all hands and we'd say, these are our values. And these are, why are our, these are why they are our values. And here's examples of how this plays out. And a lot of times when we talk about why these are our values, we'd also talk about what values weren't our values. And so one of our values is this idea of harmony where everybody has this onus to, you know, work when they're working, but when they're not working to be turned off. And it was, it, the onus is on you to take that time away from work to really recharge, rejuvenate, whatever it is that you need that feeds into you and your personal, fills your personal cup, the onus is on you to complete that and to do that. But when you're, when you're at work, you're working. But when you're not at work, you're not working. And so we were very clear in the early days that we're not going to have a run ragged culture. We're not going to make you work 18 hours a day every single day. We're not. We don't want you to because we don't want you to get burnt out and fail. But because we have, and we would say this, we'd say, because we have this culture of harmony, like you're not allowed to get burnt out because if you need time, you should take that time. If you need a day off for a mental wellness break, or if you need a week off, or if you need to take a vacation, or if this is too much, you need to have the courage to speak up and let us know. But we're all here. We're all dependent on each other. This is a very collaborative culture. This is a very collaborative community. And so if, if you are not on your own time investing into repartnering, then you're doing all of us a disservice. And so those are some of the things that we would do. We would talk about what was important to us, what wasn't important to us, 
so that it was very clear to folks, hey, what we expect of them, which I think has worked really, really well. It, when you get to 200 people, right, it gets a little bit harder. Um, you have these all hands and you're hoping that people are paying attention. You're hoping that people are hearing and they're not just you know, having you in the background is like white noise as they're like online shopping and stuff. So I don't know if it resonates as much, but as much as we can talk about it with the senior leaders and then the senior leaders can talk about it with the manage managers and the managers can live it with when they're having their one-on-ones, um, that's as best as we can hope for so that it continues to percolate throughout the entire company. So when you become a unicorn, Jacqueline, how many employees will you have or team members or, yeah. So I believe we mapped it out. It should be around 4,500. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's quite, a, that's quite a jump from where you, where you are today, yeah. I know. It's quite a jump. We've got, we've got work to do. <laughs> I was just thinking, hang on, 4,500? Yeah, that is 4,500. Yeah. How, how, uh, how long are you, how, what's the timeline to, to get there, Jacqueline? Well, you know, <laughs> it could be, it depends, it depends on the economy, I would say that with the cool down, with the intentional cool down of it, it has elongated our timeline a bit. Um, prior to venture capital cooling off, prior to, to all of that happening, we were looking at about five, six years for that to happen. Now I think we're about eight to 10 years away, but it's good because it will allow us to grow more intentionally rather than reactive, which is what we had to do the first couple of years. So it's allowing us to breathe a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the other thing that's really nice is that now that a bunch of the venture capital has been sucked out of the market, they're really only investing in these incredible ideas and these incredible companies. I remember in like the early days of Howdy, there'd be this company that had raised $20 million and it would be the most ridiculous idea with like the most ridiculous use cases. And they would have these like crazy ideas of how they want to hire and build their team. So I'm seeing much less of that now, which is great. It seems like we've kind of come back to a sense of sanity where people understand that they're building a business at the end of the day, which is, I think, what we got away from in the world of VC. So I'm, I'm very happy to be back to more of a, of a normal trajectory for what it means to be a good business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's quite funny because I, I work in tech as well. I'm not, uh, I'm not a founder just yet, but um, I, I do know what you mean. I, I've some, sometimes come across businesses and you think, I'm not entirely sure how that is an actual business. It seems more like an idea or a particular use case, but it's to your point of how that actually gets funding and you know, it's turning around, you see it in the news and it's raised X millions or whatever. It's quite, a, it used to be quite funny. It's, it was fun to watch, but my well, gosh, it was wild. I was like, what, how, how is this ever going to make money? Is this a joke? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what am I missing? What am I missing? Yeah. Um, thanks very much for sharing your stories, Jacqueline. I think they were really uh, insightful to hear them from, from your perspective. But one thing I was really curious to ask you was, hypothetically speaking, if you were to go back five years back in time and do this journey over again, what sort of um, learnings or curveballs would you share with the audience and things like, you know, these are some of the key learnings that I had over that sort of five-year period that I would, if I was to do it again, I would do it slightly differently or, or watch out for these or things like that. You know, I would tell myself to be, I think I was very insecure in the beginning and in the early days. I, everybody's going to have imposter syndrome. Even today, like, you know, I go to these CEO summits and I'm meeting some of these incredibly impressive CEOs that have taken their companies from nothing 
to, to being publicly traded and they've got more, more zeros in their bank account than I can count. Um, and they still have imposter syndrome. And so I remember thinking to myself, like, my gosh, like if they still have imposter syndrome and I had imposter, everyone's always going to have it. And so I think one, I waited too long to get started. I think I was, I mean, I was 33 years old at the time that I started my business. And I still at that point said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I can't do it. Why would anyone want to join and do this thing? And I wish I just would have like bited that voice a little bit more. And one started sooner, of course, because I had wanted to do some version of this for several years. And two, I think it would have allowed me to sleep better at night rather than having the nerves that you would have in the early days of why me, why are people going to do this? And really just to not listen, listen to that. Makes complete sense. Yeah. Silence the silence the diet and kind of just do it. Yeah, just do it. You know, I I saw somewhere too this quote that said in a hundred, it's kind of sad and it's kind of morbid. So I apologize if, if <laughs> your viewers aren't going to like it, but it actually was very inspiring for me. And it said in 150 years from now, no one in on this earth is going to be alive anymore. And like, most likely you will not have a legacy that lives beyond 150 years. If, unless maybe your great, great grandchildren, like look back. And I remember thinking like, yeah, no one in a hundred, no one's going to exist. Why, why do I care about what people think? Why do I care about like what this one person on social media said, or this naysayer? So like, it, it kind of goes to that really surround yourself with only positive influences that want to see you win, that want to help you, that want to be there for you because the world is filled with negativity and they're filled with naysayers. But at the end of the day, it's none of it's going to matter. So if you truly want to do it, just do it and try and omit all of the negativity as best as possible. I think that is a fantastic point on which to come to um, a pause and for us to ask you how um, our visit, our listeners can get in touch with you. You've, what you've shared has been so insightful, so inspiring. And that last note about just do it. Overcome that imposter syndrome, because as we, as you said, so many people are struggling with that anyway. And, you know, even the, even people that you really look up to, they have some form of baggage or some form of imposter syndrome going on. So that's a brilliant note from, from which to close. Jacqueline, how is it best that our listeners get in touch with you or any exciting projects that you'd like to share with them? Yeah, so I am, I'm very active on LinkedIn. If you guys want to find me there, Jacqueline Samira, J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E-S-A-M-I-R-A. It's not the easiest name to spell. Um, you can also find me on social mediums, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, at Howdy Jacks, J-A-X. So that should be a little bit easier to find me there. As far as new things we are working on, uh, so we actually, as of yesterday, just completed an acquisition of a company, but it's not officially closed yet, so I cannot announce it quite yet. But if you follow along Howdy or myself, in the next month or two, we are going to be able to announce it. And it's something very, very exciting. It is a gap in the market that uh, we've identified. It's a gap in what Howdy offers. And so we think with this acquisition, it's going to be able to help a lot more people and a lot more companies. 
Well, that sounds very interesting. I shall certainly be on the lookout for it. That sounds great. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And yeah, Jacqueline, thanks so much for taking the time. I find your story of how you got started in your career in sales and interest in investment banking to actually, you know, launching your own business and the, the success that it's had, I think is I think it's really inspiring. So yeah, just a, a big thank you from me as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I, I love that you guys are doing the podcast together. I hope me and my son will be able to in the future. <laughs> well, no doubt you will. <laughs> be a dream. Thank you so much to you both. I appreciate it. And we appreciate you, Jacqueline. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rjen.co.uk website.